electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank calling in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Stocks marching to new all-time highs, but without the help of two key megatech cap names, that's Apple and Microsoft. What is that signaling about this market, and what's the next move for your money? We'll, of course, debate that with our investment committee. And today we have Tiffany McGee, Jim Liebenthal, Joe Terranova, and Steve Weiss. But first, let's get a check on the markets of this hour. The S&P 500 hitting new record highs, trying for 51 record closes this year. The NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 also hitting new all-time highs. The Dow trying for a fourth straight positive day. So let's just jump right into it. Today, that's the setup. We're seeing markets at all-time highs. We see the Dow trying to keep a positive trend going. But as we mentioned, tech is moving higher without two big names. That's without Apple and Microsoft really contributing. Apple up only about a half a percent on the week. Microsoft actually down a percent. But then we look at what may be a change in leadership. Tesla and the SMH ETF both up more than 4%. I'm going to start things off with you, Joe. What's your take on this? Where are you putting your money in this market? Well, I still think, Frank, you want to be in, in technology, mega cap technology. In particular, the mega cap technology names that are buying back their stock. And this is an incredibly important point because if you look at the performance year to date for Amazon, for Tesla, and for Netflix, they're underperforming Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook. What's the difference? The common denominator for the mega cap technology stocks that are outperforming is that they're buying back a significant amount of shares, 30 billion up to 90 billion for Apple. So I believe in Apple, I believe in Microsoft, I believe in Alphabet. Beyond that, within technology, there are a lot of quality names. Most of those names are represented in semiconductors. The area that I would be concerned is if we are going to see a rise in yields, then you will see longer duration assets pause the appreciation that they've experienced, and they'll do that in particular for a lot of the high premium valuation names. Why, so over to you. I always know you to be just too cool for school, but I hear you're pretty emotional about the market today. <laughs> uh, emotional? I, I don't know. I mean, this is about as emotional as I get. I mean, <laughs> I sort of do get, you know, why we like Weiss, we're having a little technical problems with your shot. Uh, Jim, let's go over to you. Farmer Jim, what are you thinking right now? We're seeing maybe even a possible uh, change in leadership when it comes to tech. Well, I, I think that Weiss is emotional. I think he's all broken up because he and I haven't <laughs> been on the show in a while. I understand, Steve. Just you know, get a hold of yourself, and we'll come right back to you. Um, no, but to the question at hand, I thought Joe did a very good synopsis of technology. I'm going to draw a slightly different conclusion, which is this. Let's take Apple as an example. The stock over the last five years has returned 43% per annum. That is simply a rate of growth that cannot continue over the coming five years. 
years. Now, I say that definitively. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to return 43% per annum for the next five years. It's still going to be a positive returner. I hold it in my portfolio. I hold it happily. The point I'm driving at is that leadership is highly likely to change. I think we're seeing it right now as fears about the Delta variant start to ease. You're seeing financials take hold. You're seeing energy take hold. You're seeing uh, uh, gaming stocks take hold. Airlines, all of the reopening uh, trade is starting to take hold. Price matters when you look forward. The prices to which the technology stocks have risen make it hard for them to be the leaders going forward, but they're still going to be positive. I think these reopening trades, like financials, like airlines, with where their prices are now, they're likely to be the leaders when we look back one year from now. So, Tiffany, I see you have Microsoft and Apple in your portfolio. Surprised at all about this bit of a leadership change, at least this week? No, I'm not surprised at all. You know, going forward, you know, we're kind of in this, we've kind of come through this recovery. And going forward, I expect there to be leadership changes. We've seen it all year. And so Jim is absolutely right. I mean, we are seeing rotational leadership. And so when I kind of look back in terms of like what's going on in the market right now, what went on last week, what's going on this week, you know, investors should be looking for opportunities to buy, not places to hide. Right. And so looking at the Fed minutes released last week, you know, we haven't had anything close to a correction all this year. Right. So what we have had is 11 days of 1% declines. We've had two pullbacks of 4% declines and every single instance stocks bounce back. As a matter of fact, in every single instance, um, stocks hit all time highs, come back within an average of two weeks. So these bounces are going to continue to happen. So when you look at all the names that were down, last Thursday, last Friday, um, they're back up right now, starting on Monday. So again, there are all these opportunities. You can look at things like Mercado Libre, 3.5% down last week, back up this week. Uh, Lulu down, back up this week. Disney, uh, Ulta, JP, uh, all these names, RH. And so investors really should be looking for opportunities to buy the things that they already like to add to positions when these dips happen they're happening often and they're very very quick so you don't have five and six and seven days to think about it investors need to be taking uh, advantage of those opportunities so weiss i understand your internet connection has been uh, i guess resolved if you will uh farmer jim says you're just emotional about not being on the show with him that's what that was really all about but on a serious note what's your take on the market right now <laughs> Yeah, I would think gleeful is more the appropriate term. First of all, happy anniversary to Jim. I think we've now uh, had the first one-day period without a negative headline on Boeing. So, look, to me, I'm not really looking at rotation between sectors. I'm looking at stocks. I'm strictly bottoms up here. I think the market could get a little softer into uh, Jackson Hole. We'll get the agenda at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. We'll get Powell's speech at 10 o'clock. I think they'll continue to be on the hawkish side of the comments, but the market should be expecting it. And even if rates go up, I just don't see it really derailing the market. I think volatility would continue. In terms of where I am, Technology is mostly where I am, but I find opportunities in other areas, whether it's freight, GXO, or whether it's XPO or FedEx, which I added to. So it's strictly bottoms up. What are the companies that have the best fundamentals? In answer to your initial question, can the market do okay, can tech do okay without Apple or Microsoft? 
Absolutely. Even if Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Apple all lagged, which they did earlier this year, we still hit, what, 51 new highs in the S&P. So we've heard that story before. We've talked about that story so many times in the last five years, eight years. It doesn't matter. They'll catch up eventually. They always do. So, Weiss, I'm going to stick with you for a second. You mentioned you just bought FedEx. Those shares down about a percent over the last week. Barclays out with a new note saying uh, Tina is masking increased caution. For those that don't know, that is there is no alternative. Basically, people are buying the dip no matter what happens. For you and FedEx, solid business, of course. But were you buying the dip or were you buying the fundamentals of that business? So, uh, so I attitude on the dip. Stock's actually down about 10% or so from its highs, uh, maybe a little more. And what took it down after they had a phenomenal quarter was UPS came out, didn't have such a great quarter. We know labor costs are higher there, and that was leaning on the stock. But it's very cheap, in my view. The fundamentals are excellent. As a matter of fact, the same fundamentals, essentially, that are driving XPO. So I just look at it sold off for perhaps a misunderstanding, a disagreement with the market. It was a good opportunity to add a trading position onto my core position, which I did over the last couple of days. All right. Turn our attention now to semis. They've really been powering the Nasdaq 100 to new highs this week. Names like NVIDIA up 7 percent this week. Joe, I'm going to start over with you. Do you see that continued leadership coming from chips? As we mentioned earlier, chips up about 4 percent this week, (laughs) along with Tesla. Well, I'm certainly uh, positioned for that to to occur. Uh, Personally, I own AND and I also own LAM Research. I've owned LAM Research for a very long time. But uh, my quality momentum index, when we look at the industries, semiconductors are where we have the actual largest exposure. Now, I think what's going on here, Frank, is because of some better numbers related to the Delta variant, you are beginning to see a revival in demand. And that's important. I know the concerns have been on the supply side, but even a modest revival in demand is going to kind of negate some of the negativity and pessimism that surrounded the market in uh, the earlier weeks. That directly affects semiconductors. Josh Brown has done a great job on this show talking about how semiconductors really are the new transports when you're looking uh, at the market. So I think that would be the first place that we're going to see that demand recovery uh, witnessed. And certainly in the last couple of days, we've been seeing that. NVIDIA breaking out. LAM Research, uh, as I said the other day, down by its 200-day moving average. That is just a fantastic point of reference to lean against to establish a position if you don't already. Jim, I see you own Qualcomm and NXP. What's your take? Yeah, so uh, just extending what Joe said and, and in reference to Josh Brown's comments, this uh, semiconductors are what steel, railroads, oil uh, were to the economy 70 years ago. It's, it's in everything. You can see it. One area of ground zero is autos, which right now, if you drive past any dealership, it looks like the lot is basically empty because of the desperate need for chips to go into cars. Um, notwithstanding what Joe said, the supply chain issue is far greater than any demand uh, 
uh, variation over the past few weeks. But look for those supply chain issues to start to ease over the coming months. It won't be all at once. It will take time. Uh, but supply chain, uh, excuse me, supply chain uh, shortages are getting eased up. And what I look for is NXPI is a great play into that automotive sector that I already referenced. I'm going to throw a bone to Steve Weiss and bring up Qualcomm. This is obviously one of the mobile telephony plays. He and I have a slightly different view on it, more than slightly. Uh, but ultimately, this is a cash flow machine. And if the stock doesn't pick up, the company will buy back shares. They have a habit of doing so, especially when cash balances grow too high. So Qualcomm, you've got to be patient and stay with it. Weiss? Well, first of all, the supply chain, we're going to have to disagree there because in talking with some of the companies that I just mentioned, they said the supply chain has not picked up. As a matter of fact, it worsened a little. And we know that from the closing of the ports in China, which reopened overnight. So maybe they will ease up. Jim's not used to being in front of the ball. So, you know, hopefully he'll get this one right. Look, in terms of Qualcomm, it's just uh, it's the company that everybody hates to do business with in technology. Uh, because they have strong arm tactics and you don't have to do business with them anymore. You've got MediaTek, you've got other options there. As a matter of fact, Apple is building their own chipset. So once the take or pay deal with Qualcomm as part of the settlement rolls off, they won't have to do business with them anymore. Look, Qualcomm has been a laggard. Um, so Jim's investment style continues to be consistent. I prefer to go with Skyworks and Corvo, which are doing quite well and will continue to do well and benefit from the pickup in mobile phones. By the way, 5G phones have more than doubled their market share to about 43% this year. And that's where you want to play. That's Skyworks. That's Corvo. Wow. A couple, uh, what are we, like seven zingers within the first 10 minutes of this show? Might be a new record. Oh. All right, staying with the tech theme. The NASDAQ Actually, it's not a record. <laughs> If I, I can keep going, if you'd let me. No, sorry, go for it. Twice. Come on, we got we got to pace ourselves. Long show. All right, the Nasdaq at fifteen thousand. Okay. Which stocks will lead the way to the next milestone? Well, the folks at CNBC.com crunching those numbers. Three criteria: the stock has to be in the Nasdaq one hundred. At least seventy percent of analysts have to have a buy rating and calling for at least a ten percent upside. And now we have names like Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon popping up from this list from our CNBC.com team. Tiffany, I'm going to start over with you. Um, I know you own Tesla, up 4% this week, one of those leaders in, the, in tech this week. What other stocks do you see as taking leadership? Yes, yeah, so our thesis around tech is that, you know, mostly everything is a tech company, right? So we categorize tech in, in, into three, uh, three uh, sections, pure tech, tech adjacent, and tech enablers. And so when you look at the names of some of these companies that um, they were looking at, like Activision Blizzard, um, Amazon, Facebook, um, of course, Alphabet, Mercado Libre, all of these, you know, some of these are not like the pure tech companies that you would think, but clearly Mercado Libre is um, e-commerce. We like to kind of stack our, our, our conviction themes. Um, and so we believe that that is, 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 um, is a tech adjacent company. Um, we look at, you know, like Activision Blizzard, of course, like the video games. So all of these things, you know, are, um, are definitely um, related to tech and then really kind of like driving, um, you know, dr driving performance. So again, a lot of these names I own. So quick point about uh, Activision Blizzard, Tiffany, uh, actually shares down about 12% over the last month. What do you attribute that to? Because we have had some openings, but at the same time, a lot of people still have a lot of uh, virus concerns. So you would think that'd be a big boost for gaming. 
Yeah, you would think. And so that's why I really don't like to get caught up in the stay-at-home versus reopen trade. Um, and it really does seem like these days that investors are really just kind of you know very capricious in terms of um, buying and selling. So I really don't know. You would think that things would be doing well. Um, but I do think overall, I mean, listen, it's summertime, right? So it's now it's no longer, you know, six months ago when it was cold and everybody is inside. But and also we've been inside for such a long time that it's summertime. We want to get out those last few weeks of summer. Um, so Tiffany, I have, have to, to believe that people are not just necessarily for one doing second. that. Right now we're showing some live video. This yeah. is Jamie Dimon arriving at the White House Cybersecurity Summit. We're expecting a number of CEOs to r- arrive here, including uh, Google's Sundar Pichai, um, another of other high profile tech CEOs expected to make the trip and be here for this White House Summit on cybersecurity. Uh, we're going to keep a camera here. We're going to keep our eye out for any other high profile CEOs showing up. But again, obviously, a lot of cybersecurity concerns here in the U.S. and globally. Um, that big Microsoft Outlook hack just a few months ago, one of them uh, continuing concerns about cybersecurity. Uh, high profile tech CEOs arriving at the White House today to discuss what measures they're taking and what steps need to be taken going forward as we consider uh, con- continue to see hacking concerns, cybersecurity concerns and those issues and costs for different companies across different sectors rising. All right. Speaking of different sectors, we're seeing a bit of a switch when it comes to buybacks. uh, Financials are the best performing sector today and over the past month. And uh, new data from Bank of America says that financials have overtaken tech for the most buybacks in 2021. Why? She had a lot to say just a short time ago. What's your take on buybacks, especially when it comes to financials? We also see some other catalysts for financials, including rates rising, the 10 year uh, ticking up a bit higher today. Yeah, that's right. So I added to my XLF position. I also own uh, core positions in Goldman Sachs and B of A. And the reason I added is that I believe, you know, going back to what I mentioned about Powell and Jackson Hole, that dialogue is going to change. I was previously short the 10-year. That didn't work out so well. I lost money on it, on that ETF, which is really a 20-year. So I thought this was a better way to play it. I continue to see financials playing out well. And the XLF is trading now at a near, near an all-time high. I expect it to break out. These companies are extremely well run. They've got cash. They'll buy it back as the government allows them to. So look, with rates going up, yield curve, which I think will steepen, they'll just make more money, which they haven't been able to do with the yield curve. So Joe, I know you hold a lot of financials in your portfolio. More recent, Frank, in the ownership and a lot of my activity uh, over the last couple of weeks has specifically been buying the XLF, buying the KRE, buying Bank of America, financial exposure. A lot of that is reacting to what was a very significant change in sector allocations uh, for my quality momentum index where financials were elevated to the second leading sector. Uh, What I see here is that Steve is not the only one who was positioned for Treasury yields to move higher uh, throughout the better part of the second quarter. That's what we heard. Anyone that came on CNBC talked about yields rising in an inflationary environment. Well, that inflation-friendly asset trade was dramatically liquidated through the month of July and I think found its bottom in August when a 10-year Treasury hit 1.12. So to me, the sweet spot is now repositioning that's going to occur. I think it's going to specifically occur in financials as a sector, even beyond energy and industrials. Why? Because I think you remove a lot of the geographic exposure there by having 
financials only, we still have to understand uh, that the economy, ex-U.S., COVID trends, ex-U.S., it does not look as good as what we're witnessing here in the U.S. So I think financials, first and foremost, are the sector you want to be in as yields continue to move higher, and I expect they will. Yeah, you know, uh, Bank of America also saying that buybacks another catalyst for financials if that trend continues. All right, right now, let's bring in Courtney Dominguez of Payne Capital Management. She says there's one bank that is set to benefit from this market, but we want to start off with your macro view. Courtney, is Delta a continuing concern for this market, or do you feel like the markets have already priced that in? Yeah, I mean, the nice thing that we're seeing is the markets have actually just notched their 50th record close for the year, despite the Delta variant, despite everything going on with Afghanistan, and even with waiting for the Fed meeting happening on Friday. So I've been really um, optimistic looking at is how the markets have really been able to look past all of that. And really, they're just pricing in all the economic data, which continues to come in strongly. And ultimately, that's what the markets care about more so than Delta, which I would say is probably more of a health crisis than an economic crisis. You know, Oh, God. No, I'm sorry. Please continue. Uh, well, just to kind of uh, echo some of your um, some of your topics here, I do think that what we want to look at is where in the markets you want to make sure that you're taking advantage of right now, because there has been a shift from your cyclicals back into your longer duration assets. So things like tech firms, which we're talking a lot about of on this show. But I do think that there is a lot of really good opportunity here when you look at some of your cyclicals, which have only become more attractive here, especially your financials. I think it could be really beneficial to re-rotate back into those sectors right now. You know, we repeatedly said there's been 50 record closes in the S&P this year. I actually asked our quantitative team to give me the number for 2019, I guess the last quote-unquote normal year. For all of 2019, there were 35 record closes, just to put that number in perspective. Do you see that kind of momentum continuing? And coming up, obviously, this week, we have the Jackson Hole meeting. How do you see that impacting the momentum that we see in the market? Yeah, I mean, what's, what's kind of interesting is that's happening also at the same time that your bearish sentiment is at about a six-month high. So it's kind of um, climbing this wall of worry, so to speak, as opposed to seeing investors be euphoric. You tend to see a market's top when investors are euphoric. So I actually see this as a good sign that investors are still nervous right now. You're very much anticipating this, um, this meeting that's happening on Friday. But I think realistically, a lot of this is already anticipated of what the Fed might be doing and interest rates rising, them decreasing some of their bond purchases moving forward. So I don't really expect that to have as huge of an impact as, like, for example, the taper tantrum we saw in 2013. I think there's a lot more anticipated and the markets are really in a good position to be able to handle this and continue to go forward. All right. Well, we teased it just a short time ago, Courtney. What are your financial picks? Yeah. So looking at the financials, um, actually, I know you guys have thrown a lot of really good names out there, but a name that we haven't talked about yet, I think, is Citigroup, which is a really good opportunity here because it's actually trading below its tangible book value. It's trading at really good valuations here, um, paying a good dividend. And as we see the new CEO coming in, I think it's going to be pretty feasible that we can see their return on equity improve, which is only at under 6% uh, right a, now. On City. On City. All right. City up 2.5%. I think My Farmer Jim, do you have a question? Yeah, I do. Um, hi, Courtney, and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm a Citigroup holder as well, and I'd, I'd love it if you would help me. Uh, quite often we get the comment of, well, okay, I know it's cheap. I know they're buying it back at tangible book value, below tangible book value. But uh, this is a company that has had a series of missteps for years and years and years. Why not just go with the creme de la creme like a J.P. Morgan? I'm sure you get that question as well. How do you, how do you answer that? Mm-hmm. 
All the time. Yeah. yeah. And so I think what you want to look at is the, the fact that they have had some of those issues is why it's becoming cheaper right now and why it might be a better opportunity than some of the other larger banks out there, which are going to be slightly more expensive. But they have had a change in leadership here. And I think what you want to look at is can they turn that around going forward? And if you're of that view, I think you want to take advantage of that. All right, Courtney, switching gears a bit. Uh, I know you have some other picks in the auto sector. Can you kind of give us your picks and explain why and if the chip shortage impacts your picks or does not? Yeah, the chip shortage, I think, is, is largely the reason the auto industry is looking attractive here. You're seeing a chip shortage. You're seeing inventory still very low. And I don't think those things are likely going to get resolved till probably spring or summer of next year, by the way the auto industry is talking. And so what's happening is you're going to see a lot fewer cars that are being sold, but they're getting sold at higher prices. And that demand is definitely still there. So when you look at things like Ford or GM, they are doing really well for the year. But again, they're still trading very cheap and their supply issues are not going away in the near future. So I think you want to look at that and actually take advantage of that, which to actually kind of pair this with our financials earlier, it is your cyclicals and your values, these things in total that are doing really, I think, going to be a really good opportunity looking forward. Yeah, GM shares up about 17% on the year. Joe, you own as well. I, I, I do. Um, unfortunately, I'm in at a much higher level. Uh, I'm curious, though, in one of Courtney's picks when she talks about ExxonMobil, uh, if she could just kind of walk through how she's thinking about energy stocks and the potential impact of ESG investing surrounding that sector? Yeah, that's a great question, which ESG, I definitely think is going to be the way of the future, but we're not really there now. We can't, we still need to drive our cars and fly our planes and more traditional energy does still have its time and its place. And when you've looked at like crude oil, for example, that's up about 40% for the year, whereas your energy sector is only up 30% for the year. So I think you're going to see some good opportunities. Exxon is a good example of that, where it has not increased to the point that the demand is expected to increase in the energy sector. And there is still a play for that pure play energy energy. Despite longer term, I, I do like ESG a lot, but I think in the, in the shorter term, your traditional energy still has a place. All right. All right. Courtney Dominguez from Payne Capital Management. We appreciate it. We're going to turn our attention back to that White House Cybersecurity Summit. This is the CEO of Amazon, Andy Jassy, walking in right now. Just a short time ago, we saw Goldman Sachs, Jamie Dimon walking in. Uh, Google Sundar Pichai also expected to attend this very high profile meeting for CEOs. It's a White House summit on cybersecurity ongoing right now, uh, expected to kick off not too long from now as these CEOs are walking into the White House as we speak. And we're keeping our eye out for other CEOs in attendance to this meeting. All right. Well, uh, retail stocks be in the broader market this year with one of our committee members making moves in that space today. That trade is straight ahead. And you can always watch or listen to us live and on the go on the CNBC app. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And right now, a live look at the White House Cybersecurity Summit. Uh, Satya Nadella of Microsoft actually just walking in. I think we may have just missed him on camera, but just walked in a short time ago. Our producers are confirming um, this White House Cybersecurity Summit continuing. Right now, we're still waiting for Apple's Tim Cook to arrive. But so far, we've seen Goldman Sachs' Jamie Dimon. We've seen Andy Jassy of Amazon and some other high-profile CEOs walk in. Now, let's turn our attention to the other news headlines of the day with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Frank. Hello, everyone. And here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The Pentagon is following through on its pledge to vaccinate all service members against COVID. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin ordering mandatory shots now that the Pfizer vaccine has received full FDA approval. A Pentagon spokesman says that more than 4,400 Americans have been evacuated from Afghanistan. It's about 400 more than yesterday. Thousands more Americans remain in the country with just now six days left before the troop withdrawal deadline. More than 10,000 people are estimated to be waiting outside the Kabul airport for a flight out of the country. Two House representatives getting criticized for making a secret trip to Kabul to see the evacuation efforts. U.S. officials say they were stunned by the move that forced the military to divert resources to provide security and information to the lawmakers. Congressmen say that they were stunned by what they saw and believe that weeks more are needed to complete evacuations. And on the news, Shep will speak to a counterinsurgency and Afghanistan expert about what can be done before the August 31st deadline. So be sure to tune in tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. All right, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thanks a lot. Well, retail earnings, they just keep rolling in and rolling in. Dick's Sporting Goods shares rallying on the back of record profit in sales. The company also announcing a special dividend of $5.50 a share. Weiss, you own it. I do. So I bought this stock on July 19th of last month, and it's up 37 percent since then. I mention it because on their call, they raised estimates by 50 percent. So the P.E. back then when I bought it was just under 12 times. Now it's about 10 times. So despite that 37 percent move in the stock, it's actually cheaper today than it was a month ago. Comp store sales running about 20%. You mentioned the special dividend, double the buyback. I think this is a phenomenal story. It's going to continue to go. I don't see where their competition really is in the physical stores. It's just not there. You have smaller ones. You have some regional ones. But this is the story. Excellent management team running this stock. I will buy more, even though it's a, it's a large core position. I'm just going to wait to see if it pulls back a little bit. If not, I'll step in right here. So, Tiffany, I know you own Lululemon. Uh, One of the catalysts for this quarter, according to Dix, is that people bought a lot more workout clothes and equipment to do things outside like golf and play other sports. Do you see this trend continuing and being a boost not only for Dix, but for your, you know, your holding of Lululemon? I do. And so really this there's this whole new category is this kind of like active casual uh, market and it's growing and Lulu is a clear leader. Right. And so you think about it, you know, they've done direct to consumer really well. You can only buy Lulu at Lulu stores or online. Right. And so they have this pricing power that I really believe can offset margins um, and they have opportunities to grow uh, geographically, but then also into products like footwear. They tried that before. I think they're going to try it again. Um, Hopefully they get it right this time. 
And this is another one that I think, number one, is a hybrid, right, um, that d does well in any kind of environment, reopen or stay at home. Um, but then it also is one that dipped last uh, last week. So I swooped in and uh, took advantage of the opportunity to buy, and then it's back up on Monday. All right, Joe, over to you. Are you a believer in this trend that people are going to continue to work out, buy the sporting equipment and the apparel to go along with it? I, I am, and I think it speaks towards consumer behavior where there's a clear divide in retail right now apparel fashion clearly struggling but what is the consumer focused on the consumer is focused on the home the consumer is focused on food and the consumer is focused on athletics and to tiffany's point what are they wearing uh for that athletic environment and to a certain extent and, and i'll borrow this uh word from our producer patty martell wellness so incredibly important so a lot of my holdings whether it is uh, Chipotle, Lululemon, or Starbucks, it's specifically focused in that area. Dick Sporting Goods is evidence to the trends I'm speaking about. And Steve mentioned a regional. Let's give one more name for the viewers to consider owning here. Hibbit, which is in the south. Uh, that's a stock that is trading somewhere around $100. It's a small cap com company, but they have the same tailwinds that Dick Sporting Goods possess. Yeah, have very similar merchandise to a Dick Sporting Goods. When we're talking about wellness, you know, sometimes how you feel is, is actually, you know, how you do or how you look reflects on how you yeah. feel. Tiffany, I know you also bought shares of Ulta. Can you kind of explain that? Is, is that a, a stay? I know you say you stay away from the stay at home trades, but is that like a Zoom play for you? Or do you yeah. think as people go back out, they're going to want to buy more makeup and take care of their skin and things <laughs> like that? Yeah. So, so first of all, what I'll say to Joe's point, I'm in Lulu legged, in Lululemon leggings right now, and I have been for the past year and a half, right? <laughs> uh, so it's not just for working out. Um, but when it comes to Ulta, again, this is another one that went down last week. And so this, what, what I'm thinking about is, listen, like scared money doesn't make any money, right? And so investors should be paying a trend, attention to industry trends. And sales and beauty are accelerating across the board. So if Estee Lauder sales were up 76%, they reported in the second quarter, this is any indication of what Alt is going to do, then they're in good shape. They actually report later on today. Alta beat first quarter expectations. Same store sales were up 66%. Customers bought more products and also more higher ticket items. So the street's expecting Alta to report about $2.32 per share um, uh, today when later on when they, were, um, when they report. But if they're able to hit that, that's an increase of 218% in sales, which is crazy. So again, I bought it on the dip. Um, and I do think this is both, um, again, what I'm calling the hybrid trade, right? Because what we're seeing in is trends in beauty in the pandemic, when everyone, everyone was locked down, what accelerated in beauty? Skincare and mascara, right? Oh, um, eye makeup, because mascara is essential, of course, right? Um, but now we're seeing what's accelerating is things like lipstick and nail polish. So it just makes sense to me. Ulta is really um, also very good with their online sales. Uh, last quarter, their e-commerce business was up 115%, not from last year where you would expect it, but from the year before. This is comparison to 2019, which is really phenomenal, I think. All right. Speaking of that, uh, if you hey, want to get Frank, a, uh, it's oh, go ahead. If, if, no, Frank, just let Tiffany know I've got my Lululemon ABC pants on right now. I wear them all the time. I don't know if you nice. wear them, Frank. You, you and Joe, but they are comfortable. <laughs> you and Joe Kearney, you they are comfortable. I know. For people, Steve Weiss has has his leggings on. I know. Yeah, it's all about the aligned pants for me. They, they're like they're like pajamas. So on retail in the U.S. consumer, we actually have the, the CEO of Nordstrom coming up on closing bell at three o'clock later today. So I'm sure we're going to get some more insight 
onto the retail landscape aside from, you know, Joe and Steve wearing leggings from Lululemon. Uh, I'm sure you guys buy other things as well. All right. Coming up next, popular eyeglass retailer Warby Parker files to go public. We're following the money. That's next on Halftime. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Eyeglass retailer Warby Parker is planning to go public. Leslie Picker is breaking down the business model and how the company fits in the current IPO cycle. Hey, Picker. Hey, Holland. Warby Parker moving forward with a direct listing in one of the more anticipated deals this year. The 11-year-old company is the purveyor of glasses, as you mentioned, known for disrupting the heavily concentrated industry by launching a direct-to-consumer model with a price point far below that of the legacy players, thanks to vertical integration and e-commerce. Over time, the company morphed from clicks to bricks with 145 retail stores responsible for half of its revenue. The rest is derived online, which helped Warby's viability during the pandemic-induced shutdowns, which shuttered its stores. Still, the company faced a significant top-line slowdown with growth of 6% in 2020. That's rebounded this year, jumping 53% during the first six months, on pace to post more than half a billion dollars in net revenue in 2021. Warby remains slightly unprofitable, although losses have been narrowing this year. Unlike a typical IPO, this direct listing does not include a capital raise. However, there is no lockup for prior investors, which include Tiger Global, T. Rowe Price, General Catalyst, D1 Capital Partners, Durable Capital as well. Warby raised a Series F round exactly a year ago, valuing the company at $3 billion. Now, it's shaping up, Frank, to be a busy fall after a record IPO run. Warby Parker could join the likes of Sweetgreen and Allbirds, Amazon-backed EV maker Rivian, and private equity firm TPG is several companies, at least, looking to make their listings public. You know, a bit of a crowded field. Question, Leslie. Why do you think Warby Parker chose the direct listing instead of a traditional IPO? Yeah, it's a really good question, Frank. In terms of Warby Parker, they just raised capital. They raised upwards of $200 million last year. They still have $260 million on their balance sheet. So they don't really need the capital that a traditional IPO would provide. They're also their whole business model is kind of this idea of cutting out the middleman, cutting out the legacy players. And you do see from these kind of entrepreneurial, founder-driven startups that they really don't love the idea of having a middleman underwrite their IPO. Those are kind of the companies that do tend to try this direct listing method of having the market decide what their price point should be, not giving up any uh, capital to Wall Street, as some like to say, versus investing it back in the company. So this way, they've got no money (laughs) that they will be investing in the company, but they don't have to face that criticism from the public markets and impact on their reputation and pricing shares in an IPO. All right, Leslie Picker, great reporting as always. We appreciate it. All right, Boston beer shares, they're falling. A downgrade for the stock today. Tiffany owns it, but is she sticking with it? The trade is next in our call of the day. 
Time now for our calls of the day. First up, Boston Beer shares selling off today and down over 40 percent this year. Cowan downgrading the stock today to underperform, saying it could drop 30 percent from here as hard seltzer sales slump. Tiffany, you own it. Yeah, this is really hard to watch, Frank. Uh, it's actually down about almost 34% year-to-date, and they really are the market leader in Seltzer. Um, but as you mentioned, sales in Seltzer have been declining, um, and now they have competition with things like White Claw. So, you know, growth in that category for them um, was 67% from 20 from uh, 2019 numbers. Um, and I say really only because on average in the past uh, year, actually through the pandemic, they've been doing about 180% growth in that category on average. So um, maybe it's a, a sign that, you know, summer's coming to an end and um, people aren't drinking seltzer, but it's just a little, a little bit hard for me to wrap my head around because I would imagine people would still be drinking beer. So I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and um, hoping that they, that they rebound. Yeah, you know, um, sales definitely slumping. One key thing here, uh, spirit-based seltzer. Seltzer's made with actual spirits up uh, 133% over the summer, according to uh, Jeffrey's notes. So a lot of people may, maybe yeah. not liking those malt-based seltzers. All right, next up, Wells Fargo. No, too, up. too many carbs. <laughs> next up, Wells Fargo upgrading. <laughs> too I many carbs. I, mean, I got to come back. Wells Fargo upgrading media and entertainment <laughs> to overweight a few of the stocks they're bullish on in that space include Viacom, CBS. Uh, Jim, you own Viacom. Yeah, I think this is a very uh, unrecognized gem within the media space, and it really comes down to the streaming numbers. Right now, they have 42 million subscribers at Paramount+. Plus. That's probably going to be close to 50 million by year end, and maybe more than that if they get a carrier deal. They've done some tie-ups with Comcast internationally that I think bodes well in that regard. They have another 52 million at Pluto TV, and the point I'm driving at here is this is actually serious throw weight in terms of subscriber numbers. You may also recall they did a uh, balance sheet shore up in the beginning of the year when Archigo shot the stock to $100 a share. They raised $3 billion, so they're sitting on $5.5 billion of cash with which to execute their strategy. Uh, whether they execute it alone or get bought out, either way, this is really an undiscovered gem. All right. There we go. Uh, now, turning our attention to shares of Salesforce, those are up 14% in the past three months. The Dow Component reports earnings after the bell today. The committee gets you ready ahead of the results. That's coming up next on Halftime. Dow Component, Salesforce getting ready to report the earnings after the bell. Those shares are up 17% this year. Farmer Jim, you own it. I do own it, Frank. I own a small position in it because I have to respect the growth rate this company is showing in terms of revenue and earnings. But it's a small position because the valuation is so darn high. Now, I'm happy I'm in it because if it goes up, I have a position. I suspect that at some point, maybe this quarter, they have a great quarter and the market just says, you know what, too expensive. And if it goes down on that sort of news, I'll buy more. But right now, I just have to keep the small position because that valuation is just too tough to stomach. But great company. We use them at my firm. They find more and more ways to help us. This is a fabulous company. I'm happy I own it. Joe, you bullish on Salesforce and in cloud stocks in general? So a couple of weeks back, Frank, I talked about AMD having the potential to have a quarterly earnings that reverses the year-to-date underperformance. And I think that's the exact setup here for Salesforce. This could be the quarterly earnings report that will reverse the underperformance. Keep in mind, Salesforce has traded below its September 2nd, 2020 high at 284 for the better part of the last 11 months, kind of sideways. But this is the moment now where you're going to see a realization 
that the contribution from Slack is better than we expected. And when you think about the cloud overall, just think about the enterprise IT spend. You heard it from Amazon. You heard it from Microsoft. It's clearly going to be a catalyst for Salesforce, and it's a clear catalyst overall for all of these cloud names. It is a secular tailwind that's emanating in the cloud industry. Yeah, Joe, we're going to hear from CEO Mark Benioff. He's going to be on Mad Money later today talking about Salesforce earnings and I'm sure cloud stocks in general. Uh, we also want to show you a little bit of video. Um, the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, arriving at the White House Cybersecurity Summit just a short time ago, um, just walking in, joining some other very high-profile CEOs, as we already mentioned. Uh, Sundar Pichai from Google, already in attendance. Jamie Dimon from, Google, uh, from Goldman Sachs, excuse me, already there. Satya Nadella of Microsoft, already in attendance. Also, Andy Jassy of Amazon, the CEO of Amazon, walking in a short time ago. This is video of Tim Cook joining that group of CEOs at the White House to discuss cybersecurity. All right, final trades and much more coming up on Halftime. Stay with us. And the investment committee is answering your questions. First up, a question for Joe. Kareem in D.C. wants to know, I'd like to get exposure to the cybersecurity space and saw CrowdStrike and Fortinet get mentioned. Uh, very timely question here, Joe, with the White House Cybersecurity Summit and major CEOs there. Which one do you prefer between those two names? Okay, now I'm going to assume we don't have any exposure in that question. And if we don't, I want you to wait. Um, I think a lot of these cyber stocks have, have gotten a little bit ahead of themselves. I own both. CrowdStrike is more recent, and that's more of a trade. I'd be more inclined to sell that one. Fortinet is more of a long-term holding. But I'd like you to wait here for any form of a correction before entering these trades. All right, Weiss, we're going to enter the metaverse with you. Janet in Florida writes, my granddaughter has money that I control. She loves Roblox. Would it be, a good, would it be good to buy shares for her? She's six years old. Weiss? You know, I've been looking at this, um, at this stock since the 60s and have never pulled the trigger on except for one trade. Um, if you've got a long-term time frame and she's six years old, so she does, you may want to buy some and use it as a point to teach her a lesson at some point about investing. Not at six years old, but as she gets older. This company's a winner. Even though they missed the quarter pretty nicely in terms of billings, just the last quarter, it immediately recovered as March tire. So I think it continues. I personally can wait for a pullback. It would not be the only position I put in a six-year-old's account, though, because I still put it in the speculative category, only owing to the valuation. All right, Tiffany, quick one for you. Jeff in Atlanta wants to know, is Peloton going to 175, trading at about 114 right now? Ooh, I mean, I hope so, but I don't think it's going to be this year. As you mentioned, they're trading at about 114 right now. Um, the highest they've hit in the past year is at 171. Um, so I think it's going to be hard for them to hit 175 this year. Uh, but they're making investments into manufacturing, logistics to get customers their bikes faster. Um, and they also, you know, this is, this is still a hybrid trade for me, right? It's not reopen versus stay at home. Um, they've got a high retention rate compared to traditional gyms for customers. Um, they're doing 1 million um, uh <laughs> classes a day. So that's crazy. All right. We'll keep it moving Tiff. final trade. Uh, GM. Um, yeah. So they're, they're, um, uh, the, um, what was it that they did the other day? Uh, all right. I'm having like a brain we'll, freeze we'll right now. Anyway, Jim, it was a dip. Trade. I bought it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Ma Marathon petroleum MPC. Joe. eBay. Weiss. Verizon moving back up. 
All right, that does it for halftime. Kelly Evans in the exchange. Begin right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.